There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Book of the Week, what you should be reading. Our book of the week is Sweet Sorrow by David Nichols. And who better to introduce it than the author himself? I'm David Nichols. I'm the author of One Day and Us, and now the new novel, Sweet Sorrow, which is a funny, sad, coming-of-age love story about growing up, about family, about falling in love for the first time. It's nostalgic and bittersweet and melancholy, and I hope it'll make you laugh too. I hope you enjoy reading it. David Nichols there talking about Sweet Sorrow, which is the book that is our focus on Book of the Week on Talking Books today. Athlan Baluki is in the studio with us. She is the director of the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. And she got this book earlier than I did, and I'm only a tiny bit upset. (laughs) Welcome back to the studio. Thank you, Annabelle. So I think the most important question for Book of the Week is, you know, did we actually enjoy it? I mean, that's the most important thing. So Athlan, did you like this book? Were you happy to have read it? Oh, I... I, you know, in my position, I, I have to read a lot of books for the festival constantly. And then I have to say, I felt a little bit guilty reading this because it felt a bit like an indulgence. Like it wasn't sort of the, the urgent thing to read right now. Um, but I loved every single bit of it. And I know that David Nichols is one of your favorite authors. Yep. <laughs> for me, I haven't read any other David Nichols book. I have watched one day. Um, but uh, I, you know, the... The book was just, by the end of it, the, 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 you get so attached to the characters and there's so many situations that are sort of so familiar where you think, you know, I've either been through that or I know someone who mm-hmm. has. And it's just mm. um, such a treat. Well, so that's, uh, that's great to hear. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what it's about? About the book. So the main character in the book is Charlie Lewis. Um, Charlie is a 16-year-old boy. Uh, the story is based in, in the UK. Um, He's not doing well in school. He's sort of failing his GCSEs and he's got, um, there's a lot of trouble at home. So his parents are sort of um, splitting up. Um, his, his father's business gone bankrupt. And, um, you know, he has this idea of what his family used to be. And they used to be very happy growing up. And his father is um, big time into jazz. And he used to have this music shop in, in a couple of the main streets of the little towns in England. And he just has all these fond memories of, of the times when things were good. And that summer in particular, everything is just going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and his mother is moving out. Um, so it's, it's tough at home. And um, the summer in, in a small town uh, can be quite boring. So he's he's just... Um, going out of his mind, not knowing what to do with his every day. So he has a bike um, and he's uh, biking out into a little bit further from his house. And then he gets to a meadow one day and uh, he's he's taking books with, with him and he's just reading, um, getting a bit of a suntan and just, just having a read. Um, and then one day he meets this girl called uh, Fran Fisher um, in the meadow and um, she, he finds out that you know he's, she's a part of a group and they're uh, they're working on a play. Uh, mm-hmm. They're they're, they're um, working on a Romeo and Juliet um, amateur kind of play in their yeah. in their town. They're doing theater sports. Yeah, <laughs> theater sports for the summer. And um, you know, for Charlie, obviously, it's n- nowhere near his interest or anything that he would normally engage in. But you know, given that the summer is. Um, just boring and and what's happening at home he looks for a little bit of an escape after he sees Fran he's quite intrigued by her um and so you know the the group the group in uh, in in the theater are are of different ages there's older people there's younger people 
And it takes Charlie into this sort of... So at school, he's he's a part of this... Um, he has three other guy friends and they're... They're all quite rowdy, aren't they? Yeah, mm-hmm. they're kind of, you know, they bully people around in school. They're too cool and, you know, it's it's, it's quite rough that the relationship... They're proper they lads yeah, and mates. They, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he goes into the theatre and obviously he's ashamed to tell anyone, so he doesn't tell his friends. Um, but then it also brings out a very different side of him. Um, he starts to enjoy the show, but also he gets to know people... Uh, some of the people in the show are, are theater are, are from his school, and he starts to build these different relationships with them as well. Um, and so it just brings out a different, more sensitive side of Charlie. So from from what you say, he doesn't sound like the most uh, attractive of central characters. Uh, I mean, I read when I was reading about the book, um, mm-hmm. I, I heard him described as the uh, the child in the school photograph that you don't remember when you look back twenty years ago. Um, so. Why, why is he compelling as a as a central character? Yeah, and and that's certainly how he views himself. Mm. He does he definitely doesn't see anything. He doesn't seem to have an awful lot going for him. No, and he doesn't see anything special about. So why him. do we care? Um, you see him, you know, he see when you see him go through all of the things that he's going through, uh, and sometimes he gets himself into trouble. But you kind of start to understand him because you know sometimes you're like a victim of your circumstances, and the situations around him push him to behave in certain ways. But then there's something um, kind of very cool about him too. Like he's, you know, when when Fran is getting to know him, he's he's calm and collected, and there's something intriguing about him too. I think it's interesting that you picked up on that, Jonathan, because I don't think... So neither of you have actually read anything else that David Nichols has written. No. This is something that David Nichols does really well in everything that I've read of his, is Mm -hmm. he manages to make the ordinary, um, including particular protagonists, extraordinary. Yeah. um, In a way that you you couldn't imagine any other character in the novel being the main focus. Mm. Um. And I think he he does it better than any other novelist I've read, mm-hmm. um, where suddenly by the end of the book, I was almost envious of Fran Fisher for finding Charlie. That's that makes true. Sense. So you, mm-hmm. uh, you've, you've either got to put an extraordinary person in an ordinary situation or an ordinary person in an extraordinary situation. And from what you're saying, it sounds like it's the latter, like an ordinary person mm-hmm. bordering almost on... Being a loser, mm-hmm. um, but he uh, has this incredible summer of uh, exploration and discovery and mm-hmm. changes. Yeah. And also, you know, the circumstances at home and the time when he's 16 and he's envious of people around him who are really careless and um, having a good time, as you should be at the age of 16. But he feels a little bit like the adults in his life have mm. robbed him of that. And you really feel for him because... Um, he is b- bitter about it, but there's moments where he, he rises above it and he actually um, carries that responsibility really well. And he's the adult rather than the other way around. And he fluctuates between this this bitterness and this guilt for feeling bitter yeah. um, in a way that you, you're kind, you, you really feel for him and you're exhausted reading about him going back and forth between all these different emotions. There's so much more that's happening in Sweet Sorrow. It's, it's a novel about all sorts of different themes. There's a wonderful cast of characters. We've already talked about how David Nichols makes the ordinary extraordinary with the seemingly unforgettable character of Charlie Lewis who becomes anything but by the end of the novel. Um, I'd like to talk briefly about Miles. <laughs> Can we do that? And the Shakespeare in the book. So Sweet Sorrow, the title obviously gets itself, um, get uh, comes about from the famous line in Romeo and Juliet by Ju- um, 
I was going to say by Julia Shakespeare. <laughs> Can you take over for a bit, Jonathan? Delighted to. Yeah, so <laughs> parting is such sweet sorrow is a line from uh, from Romeo and Juliet from the balcony scene. Um, and the novel itself is is Shakespearean. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's a story, I think, of star-crossed lovers, uh, lovers who um, are thrust together but are ultimately... Uh, destined to fail um, and um, it has a hero with a fatal flaw uh, and you have moments of great triumph followed by moments of great tragedy um, and the, the the plot of the novel is sort of overlaid onto a production of Romeo and Juliet so there are all these different Shakespearean aspects to it and, and as Annabelle said um, the title itself is a quote from Romeo and Juliet. And and I just found myself, I mean, we were talking off air about this. I was constantly laughing out loud. So I I would read a paragraph and I'd be so moved and touched by how he would write about love and loss. And then there would just be this moment that was laugh out loud funny. And I think I was reading it in public and people were slightly concerned. But did you have that same response? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a good reflection of how life in general is because you're you're going through all of these these ups and downs and then yeah. sometimes it's quite funny and when you think about things in hindsight they're also quite funny you, you you notice different things and you start remembering different things and I think you were talking about Miles and um you know we all know a Miles and, <laughs> and that's so why who is Miles? So Miles is the um so within this it's a sort of play within a play again another Shakespearean concept so the people um, are putting on um, an amateur production of Romeo and Juliet one summer um, and Miles is the uh, alpha uh, actor type who is playing Romeo. Romeo. So he's sort mm-hmm. of um, self-obsessed and has a chiselled torso. Um, and He's pretty uh, and he knows it. He's pretty and he knows it, I- exactly. And we all know Miles. Yeah, we all do know Miles. But not in an unkind way. Like, he's so, sort of very self-absorbed. He is, and but he means well. Yeah, he means well. Um, there's, there's a wonderful moment where... Because on the other side of this, you have Charlie, who is the couple who are putting on the production, they they don't really believe in him. He's just kind of filling a space. Mm. And he knows it and everyone else knows it. He's not he's not meant to be an actor. And so he's just reading these lines, but gradually he gets better and he gets better. And there's one scene where he has to he has to rehearse with Miles who's playing Romeo. And it is is one of my favourite moments. He says, I had to hand it to Miles. He could really handle the O's, the armies and the alasses. Could really sing them out as he bounced around the room, squatting, sitting astride a chair, <laughs> improvising business with the curtains or a lampshade. I did my best to keep up. Try moving on the line, Charlie, said Ivor, rather than before or after. But walking while talking was beyond me, especially holding the script. The other hand, which I was unable to squeeze into the pocket of my jeans, dangled limply from the belt loop like a flirtatious cowboy. Miles, meanwhile, found poses that he would hold for a s- suspended moment, like a model in a photo shoot. He didn't act with me, but around me, as if I was a coffee table. <laughs> what, what I take from this, or not what I take from this, but I, I think it's um, clear, or you can tell that David Nichols is himself a failed actor. He began life uh, as an actor and then... Um, oh, quite right. I'd forgotten and that. Then, uh, and then after some years decided that he wasn't going to get to where he wanted to or he wasn't going to be good enough. And so he uh, moved to uh, writing and, and thank goodness he did. But I, I think that uh, in the book, Charlie's perspective there is probably David's perspective um, from from back in the day when he was turning up on, on, on the sets of, uh, of, 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 of TV series or, or theatre productions. And there were so many better people there. Yeah, I do wonder when a character is so believable, how much of that is influenced by real Mm. life events. And it just seemed like 
you know, there, there, there must have been some, something from, from his memory there. I'm you know, interested, uh, Ahlem, by how relatable you find the novel, because mm-hmm. when I read it for the first time without having discussed it with anyone, I felt like it was written for me. <laughs> uh, I mean, I thought it was a book uh, only for nostalgic, middle-aged, nearly middle-aged English men. Um, and I'm surprised to hear that it has a broader appeal because the central character um, is, well, to start with, he was 16 in 1997, which is the exact same age as me. I grew up in late uh, 1990s England. Yeah. Um, his father in the novel is the age that I am now. Mm-hmm. His parents separated during teenage years, tick, um, both heartbroken during a summer romance, tick. Um, and he had an epiphany um, through theatre. So I've, I felt that this was about me, but mm-hmm. you also identified. Yeah, I think it's more um, the the thinking of Charlie throughout. Like there's a scene I remember of, of him walking alongside Fran and she's she's telling him a little bit how, um, uh, you know, she doesn't feel like she's, you know, in her first role of acting, she didn't feel like she fit the part. And then he's quickly thinking in his head what the best um, adjective is to describe her. And then the word that comes out is lovely, but he says... It didn't come out as lovely. It came out as three lovely. syllables. Yeah, three syllables. <laughs> three syllables. And I think it's those moments where you're like, oh, you know, you can relate. And you think back and you're like, why did I say it like that? Or what? And then you overthink. And there's these moments that where, you you know, it's, it's really relatable. Or, yeah. you know, just just in general, like his, his family situations and things like that, which I think a lot of people can relate to no matter uh, where you are um, it's like you you expect the elders to be perfect, uh, sort of, and when 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 they're not, it's really difficult, and you start to think you're you're meant to be adults and you're meant to be this and that, and I think I think those are all universal mm. um, topics. He he writes really well about the relationship between a son and a father, particularly Charlie and and his dad in this, mm-hmm. and and how difficult their relationship is. But in in a more general sense, he writes very well about how men particularly at this time are unable to communicate with one another Mm -hmm. um he says there's this is an excerpt just after they've had a pointless argument about dirty dishes he said that the the conversation was banal witlessly sarcastic and provoking less a conversation more the flicking of an ear i hated the way we spoke to each other yet change required voices that neither of us possessed so he lapsed into silence and dad turned on the tv and i'm pretty sure that there are going to be readers reading this who will think in the same way you know that this was written for them this inability to to communicate to say what needs to be said Mm -hmm. i think there was another moment that you really liked um yeah and actually relationship the book is a is a love story it's not meant to be a downer but (laughs) but you know the part that i'm going to read is just really really powerful um so it's a part when um it's just a scene where charlie is just tired of the situation um with his dad at home Um, And he says, the more my father required sympathy and compassion, the more I offered up pity and contempt. The more he required my presence, the more I disappeared. He frightened me. And when I wasn't frightened, I was simply furious, furious to be robbed of my peace of mind and power of concentration when I needed it the most. Furious at being scared of something as banal as opening the front door, bored too bored of his zombified state of the perpetual air of distraction that surrounded him like a cloud of flies around his head of the impossibility of change i didn't want anything as corny as a role model i just wanted someone who got up every morning everyone capable of smiling as someone capable uh, someone capable of smiling in a way that was neither creepy nor contrived 
That's so. that's really good writing. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the novel's Shakespeare in a number of different ways, but just the the, the first passage of that with all those sort of um, contrasts. You know, he needed symp- uh, sympathy. I op- I offered pity and contempt, mm-hmm. and, and there is a few more as well. That those contrasts, they're almost oxymorons. That's very Shakespearean, and I think this book is deceptively well written. Yeah. Absolutely. He he also the thing I like about David Nichols as well is that he writes about love in a way that is real and not soppy. Mm-hmm. And we've we've spoken a bit about the some of the kind of um sadder parts of the relationships in the book, but I'd like to read this one um about falling in love at first sight mm-hmm. which really spoke to me. He says, when these stories, love stories are told, it's hard not to ascribe meaning and inevitability to entirely innocuous chance events. We literally romanticise. One glance and something changed. A flame was ignited, cogs interlocking in some great celestial device. But the love in love at first sight is, I suspect, only applied in retrospect. Laid on like an orchestral score when the outcome of the story is known and the looks and smiles and hands brushing against each other can be allocated a significance that they rarely carry mm-hmm. in the moment. Annabelle, I, I thought you were more romantic than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the fact that he does speak about this in different parts of the book where Charlie thinks actually maybe there is love at first sight and mm-hmm. he questions it. He goes back and forth in the same way that I think we all do. We all want, okay, so is there love at first sight? Isn't there? And he goes back and forth between mm-hmm. the two. And you rationalise, like you look for signs and sometimes like there's a scene where the first day of the play he's contemplating whether to go or not and he looks outside the window and it's pouring rain and he's like clearly that's a sign from the rain telling me you know with its hand on my chest telling me that no good couldn't come of this day and he just like rationalizes things Mm -hmm. in the way that we all do we're like no that's a sign and then sometimes the complete opposite we're like no that's a sign when it when it suits us (laughs) but it is it's hard not to ascribe meaning to these stories Mm -hmm. um of of first meets these meet cutes and so We actually spoke to a few residents here in the UAE about their stories of first love and connection. And have a listen to this. I met my first love, who is also my current husband, when I was just 14 years old. Uh, He was my best friend's boyfriend. Um, I met him in a school carnival, something like the spring fair, what we have here back home in India. Eight years of uh, dating, or courtship as you call it, and then we got married. I met my wife Gemma in university, uh, the first year of university, and we were just kind of acquaintances to begin with. And in the last year, uh, through mutual friends, we kind of became like best friends in a sense, kind of slowly, gradually. It was, uh, yeah, funny, and then just about a year after kind of becoming best friends, you know, we fell in love to be all soppy and romantic about it and then 10 years later here we are in Dubai married with our little boy and uh, kind of happily ever after working on it. <laughs> I met my first love which is Trent still with him been married for 14 years but we met in 1998 that's oh god how many years ago 20 odd years ago we met in a nightclub in Marbella in southern Spain and it was love at first sight but the next day after we met i was in a show playing princess jasmine in aladdin in the uk and my husband james unbeknown to me at the time was in the audience watching and he chatted me up at the bar and uh, bought me a diet coke i gave him my number and 20 years later here we are 
So I met my first love, which is my current boyfriend, on Instagram. Um, I started following him because I liked the look of his pictures and I liked the look of his Instagram page and he must have thought the same, so he followed me back. And we just started liking each other's pictures. I would like one of his, he would like two of mine, so I would like three of his. And we did that for a while. And then um, I finished liking all of his pictures. And when I had no more to like, I sent him a message on Instagram and the rest is history. <laughs> uh, my first girlfriend, I ran into her on the train station because she was a friend of a friend of a friend. And I said, what, what are you doing here? And she said, I live two streets away. And I said, but I live two streets away. And then she said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm going to the gym. And she said, I'm also going to the gym. So we hung out for a while. And then one night I just dropped her home and said, you know how we've been friends for a while. Uh, do you want to be more than that? And then she said, yes. And then she moved country eight weeks ago and I never saw her again. I met my husband in Dubai. Um, he was a friend of my friend. I came over here on holiday to see my friend and we all went out together one night and we just got on and then we did back and forwards between the continents for nine months and then I moved here. <laughs> So our book of the week is, of course, Sweet Sorrow by David Nichols. We've got it three days early. It's publishing on the 9th of July. And it Can I is... just say that I've got a signed copy? <laughs> okay, this is where Ahlam Baluki, director of the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature, uh, can leave the studio. It's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> so I met him when we went for London Book Fair in March and we had a little event and he was there and he was giving away early copies. So, Jonathan, you might need to take over because yes. I might cry. Um, so One to Hate, of course, was hugely popular as was subsequent novel Us, which was long-listed for the Man Booker Prize. And if you haven't read that either, you must read it. It is wonderful. Um, so on the 9th of July, Sweet Sorrow will be out. Um, it's a standalone novel, so you don't have to have read the others to enjoy this. It's a bittersweet coming-of-age tale. It's about first love. It's about how a summer can forever change a life. And it's also about how we don't really know who we are or where we're going when we're about 16 years old and still trying to figure out life. So we've spoken about the book already, um, but I'm feeling a little lonely as the only Mickles fan who has read his other novels. And I'm wistful because it's our last show before a summer break. So I've called Isabel, who is all the way over in the UK in the UK right now. Um, and she's on the line with us. Hello, Isabel. How are you? I'm very well. And hello to all of you in the studio. Um, I have binge read Sweet Sorrow uh, since, since you very kindly gave me a proof copy, Annabelle. And um, I absolutely loved it. Um, it's quite interesting that if you look at um, uh, the, the last three, I haven't yet read Starter for Ten, but um, with One Day and the success of that, the characters in One Day are sort of university leaving. So they're sort of 20s, early 20s, and then we see them over the next, um, uh, on that special day, over the next 10, 15 years. Um, then when we go to Us, it's a middle-aged couple looking back on um, their sort of life and having a child. And now we go back to the 16-year-olds um, at school. And I think he, David Nichols, does it so incredibly well. And particularly the intensity of being part of a theatre production um, at that age, where, where, I mean, reading it, it just took me back, I don't know, um, however many, 50 plus years, shall I say, um, and um, how you felt about things and, and how life at that age 
16 is never quite as intense again. And I think he writes it so beautifully. There are so many parts of it. And the sort of the, the main character is um, someone who you could say has no character, almost. Mm-hmm. He, he sort of is in the shadows. He is not the sort of, he doesn't have anything that is going to make him stand out. In fact, he just doesn't stand out. You wouldn't remember him. And so him being part of a theatre production happens um, in quite a lovely way. And it's the last thing in his life that he would ever have signed up to, um, being part of um, Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Um, I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I can see the film coming out of this, particularly all of the, um, the, the summer part with this theatre production company in this old house and um, what they use for props and things like that. It's just, it's just beautiful. You really get into his characters. I felt very sad last night finishing it. Um, and actually uh, the sort of the, the sadness of um, that first love that Charlie went through and it's never, you can never go back there. You can never go back to that time and those feelings. We were talking, uh, Isabel, earlier on in the hour about uh, literature that's unfilmable. I mean, do you think that this one is doable? Do you think it will be satisfying? And do you see any, uh, any challenges with turning this one into a film? Oh, not at all. I, I mean, I think he writes, he writes in such a visual way. And you have the sort of the, uh, when he's, when he's um, caught up for his uh, credit card, um, uh, scratch card um, issues, um, that bit, I think, would be incredibly um, easy to film. I think all of the uh, parts of the play in that wonderful old crumbly house um, and the gardens that they use. Um, the opening scene, um, it's the sixth form uh, leaving disco. Um, yes, I, I mean, I think there are some real sort of set pieces in it that would um, certainly lend themselves very well to film. What about you? Did you think of any of the any parts, any sort of key parts of it that wouldn't make it um, to the film or would be difficult to film? No. Uh, I'm, I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking through it. And I think that, um, I mean, earlier on we were, we were reflecting, we came to the, the, the conclusion that there is no such thing as an unfilmable uh, piece of literature. There's only a lack of budget and a lack of imagination. Um, but with this one, I don't think you need too much imagination. I think it would be converted into a script fairly easily. I think, um, I mean, I don't have any bright ideas off the top of my head for casting, but I think it's very doable. Um, Set-wise, uh, I don't think there's anything here which is going to trip you up. I think when, no. I, when I read this, I, re- I, I pictured it almost as a movie in my head it was already quite a cinematic experience reading it and I can already see that they would probably use internal monologue and narration in the film I think that would work really well so Charlie kind of talking about this this summer and the heady days what I think is interesting is often on talking of books we we tend to disagree don't we Isabel about a lot of books but we, oh, you know, yes. we're we, all, love to, we love to agree to disagree. We do. <laughs> but with this book, we all have an equal fondness for it. And I think this is um, just proof of how brilliant David Nichols is as a writer, that we're all from different backgrounds, different generations and different genders. And yet we still we still absolutely we love this. We all have been 16. Yeah. We have all been 16. That's what we share. Mm. And what he does so well is capture that. It's the intensity of that. And when I go back to my favorite books, the favorite books that I've ever read that have stayed with me all my life 
have been books that I've read between the ages of 15 and 20 um, because it, you read in a completely different way at that thing. And that's what he captures so well. And I was very lucky yesterday. Um, he was being interviewed on um, uh, Radio 4, and his book is now Book of the Week, so it will be, it will be sort of oh, wow. um, on, available on podcasts and things. But him talking about how scary it was to write another book and, and how it never gets easy. It never gets easy for, you know, best-selling writers. And in a way, the shadow of one day always hangs over him <laughs> and how he definitely will not be writing the um, screenplay for mm -hmm. this, although he's a brilliant um, screenplay writer, as we know. And he's been to the festival twice and one of my favorite all-time authors, both as a writer but also as a person. I think what he does really well is he pulls this sort of fondness of those intense feelings that a lot of us seem to put away years and years ago, but he just pulls it back up and it, it sort of lingers with his characters as they grow. And it made me think this book um, afterwards, once it was finished, that are there people who sort of after high school, life is just never that good again? Because I feel like a lot of people reach that peak in high school where everything is so intense, like you're saying, Isabel, the feelings are intense and the friendships are so deep and just, you know, those sort of friendships maybe don't form again for some people or life might be not as kind after, you know, because in high school, everything is sort of equal. You're all in the same situation. You're Ooh, all... I'm not sure about that. I, I mean, I was with you until that point. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right about people peaking at different moments in their life. I mean, mm -hmm. there are definitely some people um, who are very, very popular at school and, and, and what makes you popular at school has very little to do with what makes you popular as a young uh, yeah absolutely mm -hmm. and, and when you start working and when you become older and when you become uh, a family person and, and some people can peak um, in their retirement mm -hmm. uh, I mean there's you know all sorts of different times to to peak in in, in one's life and I don't think that the uh, protagonist of this book even peaked while we saw him, I think it was the perspective when he was retelling the story. So when he was uh, in his later years, I think he was probably mm -hmm. a more successful human then. We are unfortunately going to have to leave it there. I mean, talking about this book, time is just flying by. Um, thank you so much, Isabel, for joining us briefly to, to talk about this book. It's my pleasure and enjoy the rest of the show. And um, I look forward to... Um, uh, listening to it on, um, you know, Book of the Week. And um, they've got a great narrator as well playing Charlie. So it's a, a completely different experience um, listening to it on the radio mm -hmm. as it will be, um, you know, reading it. So enjoy it. And enjoy the rest of your Saturday, everyone there. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, Bye -bye, Isabel. Bye. Isabel Abelhall there joining us all the way from the UK over the phone to talk about Sweet Sorrow by David Nichols, which is our book of the week on Talking of Books. We are going to have to leave it there, unfortunately, but I want to leave you with a wonderful quote. And this is Charlie Lewis talking about the summer that he fell in love with Fran Fisher. But even though I thought she was lovely, I was not touched by some wand. There was no flourish on the harp and no change in the lighting. If I'd been busier that summer or happier at home, then I might not have thought about her so much. But I was neither busy nor happy. And so I fell. And I'm going to leave it there. Thank you, Ahlan Baluki, so much for joining us on Talking of Books. Thank you. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.